Wonderful to have all of you with us this morning. We are continuing our study of the book of Acts. And Lauren read for us uh, the first portion of Acts chapter 2. And uh, as we, I think, said last week as we're studying the book of Acts, uh, the title of this book is sometimes called the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, some publishers and translations actually label it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And if you want a longer, more accurate title, it would probably be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the lives of the apostles and disciples. So uh, we are continuing that study, and we're at a really crucial event um, in the, in the storyline through Acts. We're at a really crucial event in human history. We're at a really crucial event in the life of the church and in the, in the life of the body of Jesus' disciples. And so uh, I'm going to read again just the first four verses here of Acts chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And so we, we have back in Acts, back in Acts 1, 5, and 8, we have the promise. In verse 5, we, we have this promise that Jesus had spoken. He says, John baptized with water, but you will soon be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So that recognition that Jesus had promised what we're witnessing right now. And in fact, uh, if you recall, Jesus actually said, don't start witnessing yet. Don't start going out now. There is something I'm getting ready to do that is so crucial, so, so important, so absolutely essential to the commands I'm giving you and to your ability to go out and be my witnesses that you dare not leave Jerusalem until this event occurs. And now here we are witnessing this event, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to continue with that. But I want to go back and notice uh, the very beginning of verse 1 here in chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come. And so we have uh, here a very specific feast day for Israel. And I'm going to, I just want to spend a, a couple of moments looking at this. In the feasts of Israel, most Bible scholars recognize this and believe this, uh, that the feasts of Israel, first of all, they each commemorated something about God's working in the nation of Israel. And each feast then prophetically looks forward to something God is doing in, in, the, in the outworking of salvation and in the body and the life and the history of the church to come. And so we have the fall feasts. We have Passover. 
We have unleavened bread. And then we have first fruits. And in the calendar that God laid out, which by the way, if you're interested in studying the origin of the Feast of Israel, um, go to Leviticus 23. Not right now, later on your own time, uh, go to Leviticus 23. So that recognition that he's saying, you know what? On a particular day that really mattered to Israel, this event occurs. And these first three, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, those are three days in a row. So even though they're three out of the seven feasts that God commands of Israel, they all happen one right after the other. That the Passover is from the evening till the following day. And then that very next evening is unleavened bread. And then the very next evening begins first fruits. And then when we look into the New Testament, and we have this. So if you'll look, look with me at 1 Corinthians 5, 7. We have this uh, admonition and revelation. He says, clean out the old leaven. And in scripture, leaven represents sin. Clean out the old leaven, the presence of sin in your lives, so that you may be a new lump, a, a new batter, a new bread, just as you are, in fact, unleavened, because Christ has already removed our sin from our account. For Christ is our Passover and has also been sacrificed. So that recognition that when Jesus was dying on Passover, He was actually, oops, sorry, I keep making little marks all through my screen, that his crucifixion was on Passover. The very next day, Unleavened Bread celebrates Israel's freedom from slavery. And, and by focusing on leaven, it represents Israel now making a commitment because the actual Feast of Unleavened Bread continued for seven days for a completion. That now Israel was also committing to a life where they were repudiating the sins. They were repudiating the words and the ways and the thinking and the mindset and the behaviors of the world to choose all of that in God and in obedience to God. So that silent day between Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection was the feast of unleavened bread, freedom from slavery. And then first fruits was the resurrection. So still in 1 Corinthians, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we have this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So this incredible prophetic uh, pattern 
Passover, where a lamb would be slaughtered for the forgiveness of sins for the nation of Israel, and then freedom from slavery, and then new life. And, and then the Feast of First Fruits, they would bring their first gathering, the very beginning of their gatherings from, from harvest, and they would bring that as a grain offering and wave it before God, basically saying back to God, thank you, you're accomplishing something brand new. Last year is gone. Last year's crop is gone. You're starting something new here. And we're praising you and we're already looking forward to all the harvest that remains. And we brought you an offering, an offering from the very first gathering. And Jesus is that first fruits. His resurrection was the beginning of something that God is doing to harvest for himself. A people and a nation of, of sons and daughters that belong to him. And that you and I get to recognize if Jesus is the first fruits, I wonder what comes next. And here's what comes next. Then comes Pentecost. And Pentecost is, a, is an interesting word. All Pentecost means is 50th day. So back in Leviticus 23, when God is... is offering well he's not offering when he's commanding the celebration of these feasts for israel he says now basically count seven full weeks and another day count 50 full days and now you're going to bring the fullness of the harvest to god now this year here in the year 2020 passover started on April 8th and goes into the 9th. In, in the Jewish tradition and the biblical tradition, the day begins at 6 p.m. and continues through till the following day until 6 p.m. the following evening. So as Genesis says, evening and morning, there was a day. So for the Jews, April 8th at 6 p.m. began Passover. This year, and it continued through all the following day until 6 p.m. on April 9th. And then was one, one evening and one day of unleavened bread. And then one evening and one day of celebrating first fruits, which would have been for us the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now 50 days later, we have Pentecost. And Pentecost is when the, the big harvest was brought before God in celebration. And now here we have God saying, you know what? My son was resurrected. And now 50 days after my son's sacrifice, 50 days after my son was slaughtered to be that Passover lamb, 50 days later, after everything he accomplished through his death and his resurrection, now I am harvesting to myself a larger gathering of produce. Now I'm harvesting to myself the very body of Jesus Christ. And so we're witnessing it here in chapter two. We are witnessing the birth of the body of Christ. This is when the church was born. So up until that moment, there was a gathering of disciples, and that's how they're described a gathering of disciples in an upper room. 
And when Jesus met with his disciples, he met with a group of disciples. Even when he, when he appeared to over 500 people, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, even when he appeared to them, he was gathering with 500 disciples. But now in Acts chapter 2, the body of Christ, the very church, the, the, the ecclesiastical present, presence of the kingdom of God on planet earth was born with power. The church is now alive. These verses we just read, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Even before they spoke with tongues, as soon as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the church was born. And now every believer is a part of that supernatural spirit-filled body. And we'll get into that more in the, in the Sundays ahead as we keep going through Acts. The book of Acts is a transition book. That the, book, the church is being born, the church is being matured, the church is being built up, the church is being spread. And we will see God doing a number of things to clarify even to the disciples who the church is. That the church is not just a Jewish endeavor. Although at this point, many of the disciples thought the church was just a Jewish endeavor. Jesus came as Messiah to the Jews. And even though the nation of Jews as a nation rejected him, the disciples had accepted him. And they are the embodiment and the beginning of the church. But I also want you to notice one thing here. We'll, we'll be looking at this again. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, and we're looking at this gathering in Jerusalem. So because this was one of the holy feasts, the commanded feasts, Jews would gather from nations all over. They would make their way back to Jerusalem to celebrate the high holy feasts. And this was one of the seven. Israel has other feasts besides these seven. But these are the only seven. Well, we haven't got to the other two yet. We will. Uh, that God is commanding seven feasts. And so all of these men and women and children from all over the world have come back to Jerusalem. And we see this down in verse 10. After he lists all these different countries and areas of the world that they've come from, it says this. Visitors from Rome is the last name, both Jews and proselytes. So part of what we were doing here, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, that one of the things that God is, is making real clear here is right there embodied in this gathering of people are people from Gentile nations who have come to believe in the God of Scripture. And they are there choosing to honor God as Jews but they are now being brought in along with those born Jews, along with those ethnic and historical Jews. There's already Gentiles being brought into the church in this day as we're going to see these events unfold. So here's Pentecost, the 50th day, a, a gathering of a larger harvest. And real quickly, I would love this to be a long, slow process, but real quickly, I just want to touch on the three remaining feasts. So. These were the fall feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. Then we have 
I'm sorry, those are the spring feasts. Now we have the fall feasts. And if I can spell the word feast correctly. And those will be the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and then finally, the Feast of Booths. And uh, again, we won't go into a whole lot of detail on these right now. We'll come back to them. But the Feast of Trumpets, um, actually, um, no, we're going to do it. If you will go to 1 Corinthians 15. You go to 1 Corinthians 15. And this is the chapter of, of resurrection and the overcoming of death. And we already read that Jesus was the first fruits from 1520. But now if you go toward the end of chapter 15, let's start reading in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the, tr at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortal. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And so we have here in 1 Corinthians 15 a, a really beautiful connection to the next feast that the church will experience. So the first four feasts were the death, the cleansing, the freedom from slavery, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fourth feast was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that launched the beginning of the church. And now that next feast will be the trumpet that relates to our rescue, that relates to our rapture in which we are taken up to be with God. And then we have, if you would, and we won't do it now. Actually, let me try to get rid of some of these lines, okay? Um, the Day of Atonement, still to come, that most Bible scholars would agree, that has to do with Israel's repentance. And that's in Zechariah. We won't go there and look at it. But in Zechariah 12 and 13, we have God describing the incredible restoration. He says only one-third of the nation will come through all the dark days of those final days of, of the onslaught of the Antichrist and his hatred for Israel and the Jews, of, of just the horrible conditions of the world at that time, that only one-third of the nation of Israel will come through that time still alive but that one third will repent. They will accept their atonement in the death of Christ. Zechariah 12 tells us that the whole nation, tribe by tribe, household by household, will see the one whom they pierced and they will mourn for a son. And all Israel will be saved. 
So God is describing the fulfillment of that day still in the future. And then the Feasts of Booths, where we have in, uh, in Zechariah 14, still in Zechariah, and we won't, again, we won't go there right now, but if we went to Zechariah 16, what he would describe is that in the millennium, where Christ reigns on planet Earth in the future, and we will be there with him, reigning with him, that in that reign, all the nations of the world will be commanded to come every year and celebrate the, food, the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem. Representatives from all over the planet will come for a thousand years. They will come every year to Jerusalem to celebrate the, the dwelling of God among his people. And again, each one of those would be worth uh, a whole series of, of studies that we're not going to try to pack into today. But I, I wanted us to recognize that God is not doing something random, that when we look at these feasts, God is making real clear in the fulfillment of these feasts all along the way, that he is sovereign. And so we could say, you know, thousands of years go by between this event and that event. Hundreds of years go by between this prophecy and that fulfillment. Thousands of years go by where Satan gets to do his worst, his, his most evil to try to thwart the plans of God. And men and women add their, by the millions and the billions, men and women add their choices and their endeavors and their rebellion into the mix. And God is still clarifying and proving, I can tell you to the day when my son will come to the planet. I can tell you to the day when my son will be crucified. And I can tell you to the day when he will be resurrected. And then one of the things that was, that's obvious in scripture is once we have a marker, then we can tell that too. Now, the next thing on the calendar, that feast of trumpets and that rapture, just to be really consciously aware of this, the New Testament teaches us nobody knows the day for that. Now, here's what I fully expect. I just expect this because God is a, is a stickler for detail. I expect that rapture will happen on the day that celebrates the Feast of Trumpets. We just won't know when. We just won't know when. And numerous, sadly, even Christians have tried to nail down the year. And, and we've talked about this plenty of times before. It's almost as if as soon as somebody predicts a date, for the rapture, we can pretty well count on the fact that it won't be that day. But one day will be that day. And that will be when we hear that trumpet. And for and this is an amazing truth. And, and again, we could look through a variety of scriptures where the New Testament is making it real clear. That will be a real day, a miraculous day. And on that day, God will gather, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. 1 uh, Thessalonians talks about it, that there will be a gathering where all the people who belong to Jesus Christ from the four corners of the earth are gathered together to meet him in the air. And in that moment, as 1 Corinthians 15, we just read, says, not only will we be gathered at the sound of that trumpet, we will be transformed. We put aside these mortal bodies, these earthly temporary bodies, 
and we take on what we were designed to be for eternity. And we were designed. We were designed for eternity. Adam and Eve were originally designed for eternity. They broke the design and they lost that legacy for us. But now Jesus has restored the legacy. When Romans 8, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't mean to bring Romans 8, but it actually truly, truly does apply. When Romans 8 says that now we look forward to this, that we have been adopted into Christ, and that as, as this adopted son and daughter of God, each one of us gets to know this, that we groan with the universe. We even sang about this a few minutes ago, that the universe does groan. Does the universe groan over, over the, the weight of sin and damage and destruction? Yes, it does. Do we look forward to the new thing that's coming? Yes, we do. And this Feast of Trumpets will be our introduction into leaving behind the dead things and the temporary things and taking part of the new things. And again, it's worth remembering that promise is only, this is almost like a terrifying truth, that promise is only for those who have humbled themselves enough to choose the death the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for their salvation so that we're in the family of God through that adoption. And now we are in the family to be harvested on that day of the trumpet. Now we are finally in the family to be gathered to Jesus Christ on that day. So when, when Romans 8 says that we ourselves as believers, we groan within ourselves longing for that day, he's telling the truth. I believe it was C.S. Lewis that said this, that it makes sense that this world does not satisfy us. It would be very strange if as believers, we were fully satisfied with this world. And in fact, part of what the New Testament repeatedly tells us is if we slide into a false satisfaction with this world, where we're even saying, you know what? I don't want to go to the next kingdom. I want to visit Paris. I want to make sure... I, I, I live enough to retire in Hawaii. I want to make sure this happens or that happens. It's not that any of those are evil or, or, or bad desires, but if I long for them more than I long for my eternity with God, I'm longing for the wrong kingdom. My vision is clouded, and I get to long for the real thing. I get to desire and expect the beauty and the joy of the real thing, even though believers more than anybody on planet earth and i mean this please please hear this believers more than anybody else on planet earth should enjoy the beauty of god's creation believers more than anybody on planet earth should enjoy the opportunity to to be with family to be with friends to travel and see that thing or go and and watch that event and believers more than anybody else should take joy in receiving all the beauty of planet Earth and all the beauty of life on planet Earth, but to receive them as gifts that we cherish, and in fact, gifts that we are good stewards of, we manage them and care for them well. We receive them as gifts from the Father. We don't receive them as our final treasure and forget the one who gave us the gifts. So this beauty of the trumpet, the next feast uh, gets to be pervasive in our life that we're looking forward to what comes next. But now going back to Acts chapter 2, 
that we have these 120 people up in the upper room and they've just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They are now speaking in tongues. And we read this. Acts chapter 2, going back to verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Uh, and we're going to continue reading, but I want to pause there to just notice this. What we're seeing in that simple sentence, devout men from every nation, is the incredible grace of God. Because he said, you know what? I have Jews scattered all over the planet that are real Jews. They're not just lineage, uh, genetic Jews. They're not just people who grew up in a Jewish home. There are men and women and children scattered all over the planet who really get it, who aren't just following the law to be legalists. They're following the law out of a love and a faith in me and for me. And I'm going to bring thousands, literally, of those men and women and children from around the planet who are the real deal. They're genuine Jews of the heart and the mind and the spirit. And I'm going to bring those devout believers in, in the old covenant I'm going to bring them to Jerusalem. And I set that up 1,500, 1,400 years earlier when I commanded them to come to Jerusalem every year for this feast. I set that up 1,400 years ago that there would be devout Jews, Jews to whom honoring me mattered, and they would be right there in Jerusalem. What an awesome gift. Sorry. They would be right there in Jerusalem because I see their hearts of devotion. And I'm going to make sure they're in town when I start the next thing. I'm going to make sure those thousands of men and women and children who actually belong to me in their hearts. I'm going to bring them where they get to hear the next thing I'm doing. And they get to join in. And then they get to then take it back to all those places they live in. And so one of the things, even though we don't get a lot of attention to it through the book of Acts, because the book of Acts is largely centered in Jerusalem and then the disciples and, and the apostles around Jerusalem, Jerusalem and their ministries from Jerusalem. But we get to recognize this. As God is getting ready to build the church, to birth the church with men, women and children from all over the planet. Most of those thousands are going to be going back home now knowing what comes next, now knowing the truth of Jesus Christ, now indwelt by his spirit, as we will see in the, in the weeks ahead, now ready to go be powerful witnesses, because that's what Jesus said. You need to come to Jerusalem where I'm going to pour out my spirit so that you can be powerful in being my witnesses. And so we have here, and I, 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 I want to be careful because I don't want to belittle it, but everything we're going to see through Acts, we're going to see miracles galore throughout the book of Acts. We're going to see people speaking in tongues. We're going to be seeing people uh, who couldn't speak come to speak, people who couldn't walk. We're going to see blind people able to see. We're going to see a multitude of miracles throughout the book of Acts. And those are the small miracles. The two biggest miracles that we will keep seeing through the book of Acts 
is that plain and simple, normal people have the power to be a witness to Jesus Christ and bring others into the kingdom. That men and women and children are brought to salvation through the witness and the testimony of common people. There were, there were not great eloquent prophets that went around the planet. There were people indwelt by the Holy Spirit who are now gifted to do something. And we had this passage read for us too. If you'll, if you'll flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I believe it was Anne who read these first verses for us earlier. We're talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, we have this, starting in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So that what was launched here at Pentecost, and it was first manifested by a speaking in tongues, where people from all over the planet heard the gospel, heard the mighty works of God given to them in their own language. They did not have to wonder what it was about. They didn't have to ask for a translation. They got to hear it in their own words. And, and there's another thing that's to me interesting in this. Back in this issue of tongues, because these men and women there in Jerusalem say, we're hearing it in the language we were born in. But it's worth pausing and recognizing these were the Jews who had come to Jerusalem. And almost certainly for the vast majority, two things would have been true about this group linguistically. Almost all of them would have spoken Hebrew. And again, almost all of them would have spoken Greek. God did not have to do this miracle just to get, just to get the gospel spoken. I'm sorry that I'm doing weird things to the uh, screen with my little stretchy pen. But that recognition that God is saying, you know what? I'm proving that this is miraculous. I'm doing something never done before. It's almost like the opposite of the Tower of Babel. It, well, actually it is the opposite of the Tower of Babel. God's saying back at the Tower of Babel, I created a multitude of languages. And now by the power of my Holy Spirit, I'm doing a miracle that only I could do. I'm taking 120 Israeli Jews, I'm taking 120 local guys, and I'm blessing them with the languages of the planet to glorify the name of Jesus Christ and to offer salvation in the name of Jesus through the death and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. I'm doing something that absolutely puts the stamp on this event. This has never been done before, and only God could have done it. And God could have done it without that. He could have done it just through Greek and Hebrew. Because almost everybody traveling to, 
to Israel at that time who were devout Jews, virtually every one of them would have spoken Hebrew. And because, because Greek was the common language of commerce, it was the, com the language of education, it was the language of politics, it was the language of philosophy, it was the language of how nations dealt with nations diplomatically at that point in time. And yet God said, I'm, I'm even stepping away from Hebrew, I'm stepping away from Greek to do something so miraculous that the stamp of the supernatural will be all over this day. And each one of these men and women and children who go back to their lands, many of them now as believers, but some of them went back not having believed, they will still know, I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in my own language. How did that happen? And even the ones who didn't believe would always know that God had done a thing on that day to invite them in, even if they said no. But for the ones who said yes, that would be the constant memory through all their years ahead. I was there when God got this thing started. I was there when God put his stamp of supernatural presence. And now not only was his spirit there in that day poured out on those 120, uh, and I'm getting ahead because look, we haven't got to the point where these people respond, but when they do respond, then they got to go home with that same Holy Spirit dwelling with them. But we need to go ahead and wrap it up for today. And quite literally, uh, didn't even get half done when I, thought we'd get done today, but the beauty of studying a book is it's always the next Sunday. Uh, well, it won't be next Sunday. Next Sunday, please join in. Um, Steve and, and Samantha will be here, and they will be giving us um, the Word of God, and they will also, I hope, be giving us an update on their ministry. So please join in next Sunday as well, uh, but we will continue in Acts in two Sundays. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that your spirit would be helping us that we don't just read history. We get to know you. We get to know you. And Father, that we get to know ourselves as we're studying these things. Father, that these were just regular old men and women and children. They were not impressive to the world. But Father, you made them impressive in the power of their witness because they trusted you. They put their faith in Jesus Christ, and then you poured out your spirit. And Father, I thank you that in your, in your word, 1 Corinthians 12, you make it real clear that every believer, each one has now been gifted to play a role in the ministry of the body. And Father, there will be some who are gifted as prophets or evangelists, and, and we'll see them, and they'll be public. But you have a multitude of ministries, a multitude of gifts, a multitude of workings in our lives. And Father, I pray that every single one of us together who is a believer today has put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we would humble ourselves in one sense. We would humble ourselves to believe your promise. Father, that same chapter says that one part of the body cannot say to another part of the body, we don't need you. Nor can any part of the body say to the rest, you don't need me. Every single one is so gifted that every single one is essential. And Father, that we would humble ourselves enough to believe you. And in that humility, then have the confidence that we are gifted to play a role. Father, that from the least 
in the eyes of the world to the greatest in the eyes of the world, the eyes of the world are irrelevant. We have your Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And Father, I pray that this week we would believe that we are equipped to be powerful witnesses, that this week we would believe we are equipped for encouragement and teaching and uplift and hospitality, that we are gifted for exhortation and, and, and enhancement of each other's growth, that some are gifted for teaching, some are gifted, Father, in a variety of ways, and that even if we have to do it on uh, Zoom or FaceTime or a phone call, that we would recognize you are now sovereign in the fulfillment of this promise. Your Spirit has equipped us. Jesus, you kept your promise. You kept your promise. Your Spirit now dwells within us, and we are powerfully equipped to serve you and to share our witness with others. And to believe that not only can you do miracles through us, Father, but it is still happening in a variety of ways. You still do miracles through the body of Christ. But we still get to recognize our own salvation and our own indwelling at the very core of that miracle. Thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen.